Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode 21 for Monday, June 29th, 2015. And welcome to the show here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And in Las Gatas, California, Paul Kent. Dave, what the heck was that? That was awesome. That's uh, that's a tune. That, well, it's the beginning of a tune called Woe Is Me by Mark Lint, uh, a friend of mine from, well, he's in Madison, Wisconsin now. And he's given us permission to use that as the uh, the theme music for this show. So we'll actually cut it up a couple of different ways. Maybe use it as an outro, too, and that sort of thing. We are fancy. That's how we like to do it here, I like to say. Yeah. And that's that's you on drums, right? That was me on drums on that recording. Yeah, that's probably how I negotiated to uh to get him to let us use the tune. So <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Yeah. So how you doing today? Well, I'm doing good. I'm doing better. If you remember last week, yeah. I I did the podcast flat on my back because I threw my back out on Father's Day, and then I had four gigs over the the start Wednesday, Thursday. Friday and Sunday had gigs yep. and it was a, uh, it was a thing, man. So <laughs> Wednesday night, Wednesday night's gig, I was feeling, I was feeling almost good enough to stand up and I went and did the gig, but I had, it was an acoustic gig. I had to sit on a stool and I was, I was very still. And it was, you know, actually the weirdest part about that was in, in acoustic gigs, a lot of singing, it's, um, it's hard to breathe, taking a, you know, a really deep breath oh, when you have a yeah. back. So that, that was the biggest thing about Wednesday night. Wow. And it was that bad. Holy cow. Oh yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. And then Thursday we had a gig at the beach, which is just out of sight. It was just so much fun. The weather was perfect. The band was cooking. You know, there was, there was probably a couple thousand people at this thing and it's this big, it's a, it, you've seen me there at the crow's nest there in Santa Cruz. And oh, um, I've played with you there. I sat right. in with you there once. Yes, you have man. Yeah. And uh, so right on the beach in the summer times, they do a weekly beach barbecue from 5.30 to 8.30. It's a huge thing over in that area, in the Santa Cruz area. And they get a great crowd. There's a different band every week. And uh, and we've had the chance to play that the last three or four years. It's so fun. We get we had a huge crowd from over on, on our side of the hill. So I live I live about 25 minutes yeah. on the other side of the hill from, from the ocean. And so not that far, but you know, traffic and stuff like that. Yeah. That's, a, that's a, not a, that's not a friend. It's not a traffic friendly road getting uh, over right. there. Right. Yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, this windy road that goes over a mountain and down to the ocean. Not, we not had, a good road to, to drive on after you've seen a band and had a couple of drinks. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we probably had about a hundred people you wow. know, that were friends and family came and added to the crowd and it was, it was great. It was just a rocking party. So that was Thursday night. Friday night, we had kind of an interesting thing. We played um, a gig that we played last year, and it was one of those things where there was something confused in the translation of a few things. When I was first offered the gig, uh, we were the only band for the night. Somewhere over the course of the eight months since I took the gig, they added another band and didn't tell me about it. I found out about it about a month before. And luckily it was a friend of mine's band and I really liked them and, and, uh, and you know, they're, they're a great band, but the principal, you know, I, I'm actually finding, I'm getting a little bit stickier about that, that, you know, we've kind of paid our dues and, you know, I want to know exactly what the gigs are and when we're playing and, 
headlining stuff is getting a little bit more important. I'd have screw it. Headlining stuff is getting a lot more important to me. <laughs> and so, yeah. so, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, you know, I'm careful to ask what the deal is and understand, you know, what the relative things are, but it was, it worked out. Okay. The band played fine. The band after us again, they're great, great, great band. And they had a good night as well. And, and, uh, and the event was well, but I let the event organizer know, you know, clear, consistent communication is important to us. And this is, you know, like every third conversation we have, it's all about where does the leverage lie, you know, in terms of getting gigs when you're starting out and you'll take any gig and do you take them for no money? And now, you know, my group 16 years down the line, we ask a couple more questions. It's not, I'm not even going to say we wouldn't have taken the gig if they would have positioned to, to us in the way that, that it ended up being when they told us about it. But you know, just to kind of find out about it that way kind of set me off a little bit. Well, but, well you, um, you showed up and found out that, that there was another band playing or you? No, 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 no. Okay. I found out about about a month, maybe six weeks before. OK, OK. That that something had changed. And so I just asked some questions and, and it was actually quite honestly, it was a moderately honest mistake about this. So so the person who booked us was from one organization that was touching this event and the person who was later hired to run the event. who's a good guy and, and, uh, and um, has booked us for many things. I don't think he knew of my conversation with the original guy Got and he, it. and he brought someone else on. So I just, you know, said like, Hey, what's going on? I talked to everybody about it. Everyone was cool. And, um, and you know, my point was made and, and I think everybody heard me fairly. And, and again, it was handled. I would like to think it was handled all business-like. It was just kind of like, I just want to know the deal. You know, if I ask if something changes, I think it's only fair to, to let somebody know that something's changing and, you know, we could choose or not choose to, uh, you know, deal with that change. But it, what's good in all these things is good communication. Well, that, and everybody was cool about it. That's, that's, a, that's the key. And it, you know, I've, um, there's always, when you get into a situation like that and it's bound to happen with anything, I mean, playing a band or, you, you know, pretty much anything else you do where suddenly something changes and, and it, like, it sounds like in this case, there was no, you know, malice or foul play or anything. It just, it just right. kind of happened, but regardless, you, you know, it changes things and, and you have to decide, you know, where you want to draw your own line in those situations and how to handle it. And does it burn a future bridge if you, if you push back, but if you don't push back, are you happy? Right. You know, yeah. so you got to find that happy medium. Well, you, you learn that you, you teach people how to treat you. Right. So, mm. you know, you, you oh, can, that's a good, I, I like that. Yeah. You can draw a line as long as you do it respectfully. And as long as you do it professionally, I think you actually, you know, and, and again, you have to back it up. You have to, you know, your band has to deliver the goods and bring people out to the gig that, you know, that creates a little bit of the leverage, but I just find in all things, but, but certainly in, in terms of band uh, professionalism, respectful conversations, don't assume somebody's screwing you, you know, just, speak to people like adults and show some respect and you can get a lot of traction like that because so many people don't so many right. people are especially in in an artistic endeavor like playing music a lot of people are very very emotional about things and um you know and that's just naturally how some people react to things but i i've found i've gotten better <laughs> at it over time and uh and it really helps it, you get respect if you give respect it's true no it's totally true but your your point about it you know it's it's your emotion your compared to most business ventures we're probably more emotionally invested in this just because it's in order to to do what we do you have to you know to do it the way we like to do it you have to put your your heart on the line and and when things get messed up it's easy to 
to, for that switch to flip and, and you say, Hey, wait, this sucks. And you know, and then suddenly the bridge is a, you know, smoldering. So, yeah. Well, I, I would add to that, that the, that a part of putting your heart on the line is how you handle all situations. So, you know, you want people to perceive your group and you as a, you know, straight shooter, a, you know, a person of integrity, a person who will deliver what they say they're going to deliver. And so how you handle conflict is almost maybe even more important than how you handle when things are going well. Yeah. That fair point. Yeah. yeah. So, so logistically, I'm curious, did you wind up sharing a back line for this gig? Nope. Oh, you so, it all out, huh? Yeah. So uh, basically it's a, it was a half hour turnover. And I think I've said this before. My band doesn't do a lot of things where there's multiple bands on a bill because getting a 10 piece band right. on stage, mic'd, sound checked, line checked, anything. And, and, you know, sometimes these things are 15 minutes, which are impossible. We, we absolutely won't do that. Yep. This one was 30 minutes. And, and again, it's two bands that like each other and, and, you know, wanted to help each other. We were helping each other with our gear off and on the, on the stage. So, you know, it all worked out pretty well. That's so great. That was, a 30 yeah. minute cutover. That's pretty, I mean, that's tight Generous. for any band. Um, uh, well, like I said, a lot of the art and wine festivals that have multiple acts, they're, they're 15, 20 minutes. You and know, do those downtime, do those share a, uh, a backline? It's really rare out here when backlines are shared. It's happened really? a couple times. We did one, uh, last year where they asked us to share a backline and you know, the drummer was never comfortable. I wasn't happy. You know, they got the amp that I asked for, or actually, no, no, no. They, they told us what amps they would provide. Yeah. And you know, it's, if, if it's not something you're really familiar with, you're not dialing in your tones. And we actually gave feedback that it wasn't, you know, we'd rather work twice as hard to get set up and torn down. And this year everybody, I mean, maybe that cost things on their side, yeah. but, um, but uh, it's really pretty rare that you find shared backlines. Huh? Interesting. How do you, how do you feel about someone sitting at your drum kit? If it's I, someone you don't know. Um, well, I, <laughs> I was going to say, it depends on how well I know them. I, you know, when, when we're asked to share a backline or we set up a gig to share a backline, it, we don't agree to it until we know who the other bands are. Right. Um, and, and then from there, I'm, I'm actually okay with it with somebody sitting at my drums. I mean, it, you know, we, I provide a backline for this teens rock thing every year. That's probably the riskiest backline uh, situation for your gear. Cause it's, it's kids, right. You know, playing on the stuff, but, um, I don't have a problem with it. Uh, it you, yeah. for that thing, do you provide your, uh, your main gigging kit? I do. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. But the kids are respectful. Again, it's, you know, it's, you, you, you I'm nice to them. I'm helping them out and I'm, a, I'm there. And so they're usually, you know, they're, they're usually really happy about it. In fact, I've had a lot of them. A lot of the drummers say, Oh, I look forward to this gig every year. I get to play on your kit. It's one of the nicest kits I can, I get to use, you know, that kind of thing. And, yeah. and they're pretty respectful. So, yeah, I'm, I, in a, in a general sense, I have no problem with it. Uh, but I, that doesn't mean that I don't investigate. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. For, forewarned is forearmed. Yeah. But I, I, I don't mind it at all. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me. You know, there, here's the thing. And, and maybe this is, this is different from a guitar player standpoint versus a drummer standpoint. My instrument is meant to be hit really hard. So, it, you know, it would take a lot to, I mean, maybe symbols can break, but that only happens if you've got them on the wrong angle. I mean, that's really what it takes to break a symbol is, is to, to play it at the wrong angle. So as, as long as I don't see that, that's a good warning sign. You see a drummer start to flatten out all the symbols. It's like, whoa, okay, wait a minute. You know, <laughs> what are you, how long have you been playing? You know, <laughs> do you own your own gear? You know, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, so it, I mean, it, if somebody hits my snare drum three times as hard as I hit it, 
Well, that's okay. It's, it's built to do that. Whereas, you know, you start, if somebody hits your amp, that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So how's just, how does your drummer feel about it? it he doesn't like the, the backline thing or. He, yeah. Jo- Joe, no, Joe likes his comfort zone. Well, uh, and I don't know the guy in black Sunday Roadshow. actually, I've never crossed this bridge with him before, but sure. But in uh, the house rockers, Joe, you know, he loves the sound of his kit. He likes uh, the familiarity of playing his kit. And, and he's really careful with his, I mean, he's really diligent, you know, about cases for every drum and, and this type of stuff. So Joe's picky about it and that's just his thing. And I yeah, totally sure. respect it. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I get it. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's your gear. So no, I, I get it. I just, yep. yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem with it, but because I don't have a problem with it, if we're doing a shared back line, I usually try to make it that it's my kit that we're using. Cause that way I'm the, I'm the most comfortable guy there. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't I don't necessarily like playing somebody else's kit. I will. And it's it's fine. But, I, you know, with drums, it's I mean, it's like you not only playing somebody else's amp, but playing somebody else's guitar. Right. That's weird. That's oh, just weird. Well, that's what it but that's what it is for a drummer. Right. Is, you know, it's like, OK, wow. It's not only, you know, do they sound different? They're in different places. Oh, awesome. You know, <laughs> so. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So that was my Friday gig. And uh, by Friday, fortunately enough, even though my back was pretty tight um, by Friday, uh, moving around through a gig loosened it up and I felt pretty good by the end of the gig. Whereas earlier in the week, if I moved at all, it hurt. I, I was starting to kind of work through it. And so I was feeling a lot better. Didn't gig Saturday. And then Sunday, oh man, I had the best acoustic gig. It was I tell you, I, I play with this trio. They're awesome musicians, great people. And we've been playing together for quite a while now, like, you know, I think over a year. So you, you uh, talk about this trio and I, I think I actually had the opportunity to meet some of them. Do you have a name for this trio or is it? Just, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's called Acoustic Madness. Oh, okay. You've said that before. All right. Okay. Uh-huh. And, and uh, so it was a winery and the thing was, it was hot as hell down here where I live. The winery is about 15 minutes away. And when we got up to the winery, it was the most beautiful like a little bit of a breeze, a tree covered the stage just perfectly. And we had one of those days where it was just a beautiful day. And the beautiful people were there. So nice. The group was, was, I mean, the, the group generally gels all the time. It was one of those things where we're taking just a little bit off the tempos of stuff and everything just kind of felt like a mellow Sunday afternoon. And it was really, really fun. And, and so I ended the weekend just high as a kite, happy, that, uh, that, you know, I played four gigs in five days. I was feeling great by the end of the week and played a lot of great music with a lot of great people. And, but man, I mean, the beach gig was great. The Wednesday gig, the back hurt too much to be great. I mean, just kind of toughed yeah. it out. Then the beach gig was great. Then the next, the Friday night, you know, ups and downs, we played pretty good. We started at five thirty at that, at that gig where we opened instead of closed. And it was really, really warm out and it was out in the middle of a field and, you know, it was hard to get people into it. But by the end we were doing pretty fine. And then, but then took Saturday off, went and saw Jurassic world and then uh, Sunday. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Then Sunday to end the, uh, you know, this amount of music was such a wonderful, wonderful gig. It was really, really a delight. The people who came to saw us were great. We got really fun um, uh, requests that we could do. Um, that's always good. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was. I mean, they were just like, yeah, it's a big weekend out here in the Bay area. Cause the grateful dead are doing their final shows in the Bay area right. out here this weekend. Right. And so, and so the, I think the grateful dead was on people's mind and, and someone requested friend of the devil and, and we did that it was really fun. And someone requested wagon wheel and we did that and it was really fun. And nice. And, but I'll tell you, I didn't do it, but my singing partner, Steve in this acoustic group, 
Someone requested Sweet Judy Blue Eyes, which is not really oh, a what? Yeah, that's a, right. <laughs> that's just but, mean. Yeah, wow. Yeah. They they knew not what they requested, and and uh, Steve, who is a a huge Stephen Stills fan, and B about as close to a human. Not I wouldn't say human jukebox because that his his musical encyclopedia is incredible. I mean, yeah. he's a guy who can. He's not guessing. He really kind of knows probably thousands of songs. He's got a great voice, great guitar player. He played Sweet Judy Blue Eyes by himself, covering kind of the most salient melody line for any part of the song. So, you know, that song yeah, kind of jumps around. Harmonies all over the place and all that. Exactly. Right? And, and and there's actually, um, there's a YouTube, there's a Facebook video of it. Um, I'll try and give you a link to it for the show notes yeah. uh, of him, of him hopping around. He played the heck out of the guitar part, and it was it was like I was I watched this and I was like, "Holy cow, this guy's good!" Yeah, yeah, that's great. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. That makes so it great fun. a great great long weekend of music. I had a lot of friends around. Uh, you know, the people who come to see us. There were so many of those people. They kind of like I said, a hundred people came over to the beach, and so I am my my basket is full with happiness this this Monday night. Well, I'm glad your back's feeling better, man, because that um, that that was scary. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. So the week was going on. I'm curious if you're, you know, a Wednesday night, you've got this gig, you're, you're in pain. Um, do you have any, did you take anything for it or do you not like to take stuff before you play? Or, I mean, do you have any hard and fast rules about that? I'm just curious. That's, that's a great question. Probably a great whole episode. So uh, it could be for, for yeah. a back thing. Um, I was doing, I always do ice and ice, mm-hmm. you know, generally makes it feel better when this happens. This happens maybe once every, I, I remember. Eight, yeah. 18 months, maybe every year and a half something happens. And, and, uh, so, but ice is my best friend. And then I have tried, um, acupuncture and I have more likely will go to chiropractics. I have a wonderful chiropractor and I went to see her and she did some adjustments and, and she was saying, you really need to do heat as well as ice. Heat will stop the, um, will stop the spasming and then ice will stop the swelling. And then she said, you know, take a leave or, you know, some ibuprofen thing. And so I did that. Um, and that, that was basically the ritual. I, I alternated for those th- first three days, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday that I was down. Yeah. It was 20 minutes to ice, 20 minutes to heat, 20 minutes to ice, you know, it just going round. Uh, and it's, and I'm still sore. Like I wake up in the morning and it feels like somebody just kind of hit me in the back, but it's, it's not like when I hit that certain angle, the muscles tighten and I go down to my knees type of thing. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So I'm, I'm, I'm mostly back and, and so uh, did you, but I mean, at like at the gig was, was really my question. Do you, do you, do you avoid taking any, any stuff at the gig or do you just do whatever you need to do? I take a, I take in a leave or, or a, okay. right before I, right when I leave for the gig. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's it. What would you do? Um, I would take, I would take Advil. Uh, for the gig, they, I, I've, um, and I've taken that for, for several reasons. I, I take it if I've got uh, laryngitis or whatever, because it, it loosens the throat. I think we talked about that on a, on a previous show, but it definitely impacts my playing. Um, if I, cause I need to take enough of it that it would solve a problem for me. If I, and I've had back issues when I've played and, and also the throat thing. And so I need to take, you know, th- at least three of them, if not four. Um, and, those that'll loosen me up. Now, sometimes that's okay. Some, maybe arguably better. Uh, it's hard to say, you, you know, your perspective changes when you start uh, taking muscle or not taking muscle relaxants, but you know, um, all that stuff. But sometimes it's not good. It, you know, it, it definitely has it. It takes a, like I said, it impacts my playing and it, it, you know, 
makes it a little less sharp. And that's for drummers. Um, so I think you have pretty good posture, right? Like you, you yeah. mostly are straight up and then you catch yourself if you start to slouch a little bit, right? To- well, totally. And, and that's where singing really helps because if yeah. I'm, if my posture is not good, I know it right away. But so, yeah, I'm, and I, but I've always worked. I mean, I, you know, from, from, from day one, I always worked on having good posture because you play better when your posture is good. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you and I had this conversation, you know, Max Weinberg, you know, especially a lot of people know him from Bruce and a lot of people know him from playing for Conan. Sure. But, but you know, he's, he's played a lot of drums in his life. I mean, you know, remember when Bruce was in his prime Oh yeah, doing over three hour shows and they used to do two hour sound checks, you know, he said five hours. Of drum- oh yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. Huh. Yeah. They would work out additional material and you know, there's a lot of drumming and even to this day, you know, so he's got to be in his late sixties now. And, you know, he's still playing three hour shows, right? With no sure. breaks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's rock. That's rock and roll playing. This isn't, you know. He's 64. There you go. And I hear he has back problems as well. I mean, I, I heard one time they actually were doing a stadium show here in the Bay Area. And they, they like it was it was go or no go up till up till downbeat. You know, there were all sorts of medical things trying to treat him. Yeah. And they, they finally got him up on a stool and he played the show. <sighs> Man. Yeah. Well, you, you know, the show must go on, right? Uh, I, I could not. I, like anyone who's ever had back pain knows that feeling. Now, I don't know if it's any better if you can, if you're drumming. I mean, on the one hand, it's incredibly physical activity. On the other hand, at least you're on a stool and maybe you can arrange yourself to avoid that one angle of pain. Yep. But standing up, it's pretty hard because if you get, you know, if you get a spasm, you're down. Right. <laughs> no, I would. I, I mean, I haven't ever tried it as a guitar player, obviously, but I would imagine the back thing is harder on a guitar player than a drummer because a y- yes, you're sitting B you're not carrying a guitar around. You know, you just have to sit there and play. And that actually allows you to kind of loosen up a little bit. If you, you know, as long as you can move at some level. Yeah. It, it's usually pretty good. Um, playing, playing use it. There are, there have been very few times where I've had an injury of any kind that has made it so that I can't play. And, it, and I've had some really close calls. Like I've cut a finger or something. And if it was a different finger, or, you know, a centimeter further over, it would have been like, no way I can hold a stick. And yet every time it's like, Hey, you know what? Uh, I might be hurt and I can't do this, this, and this, but I can still play the drums hundred percent. I'm good to go. Let's go. You know, now that one year when you had Lyme disease, that slowed down your playing. Uh, no, it, it didn't. Uh, in fact, I played, so I had, I had, uh, for the benefit of the listeners, I had, I likely had Lyme disease in the, in the end, most of the doctors are arguing that I probably didn't, but it, regardless of what caused it, I got Bell's palsy. And it lasted for a while. Bell's palsy is where one side of your face uh, gets totally paralyzed. And so I actually played a gig the night after I came down with it. So it was the absolute worst of it. And playing was playing was fine because it it really only affects it affects your facial nerve, which um, goes about as far down as your throat and, and then all the way up that side of your face. So singing was I had to relearn how to sing after that. Yep. And and the. Really, the problem was um, because that nerve is is essentially paralyzed. Your um, my ear didn't re- react to uh, sound properly, so I had to really be careful not to totally blow out my hearing. I mean, I wear in ears anyway, but I, I couldn't even have sound in them. I had to just wear an earplug to protect my hearing on that side. That was the weirdest part. Yeah, 
But uh, but no, it didn't affect my drumming. I mean, it was you know it was fine. I, it was annoying that my face wouldn't work. Yeah. Um, you know, but other other than that, yeah. It was, it was, I gotta say, I've been lucky as well. I've never missed a gig. I had an I had a um, infected finger once, but it was on my right hand, on my strumming hand, not on my fretting hand, and and uh, so I wrapped it up, and it was a, I think it was my pinky. So but uh, so I had like a big thing on my hand, you know, protecting my finger. But I've never missed a gig due to injury or sickness. Yeah, I don't think I have either. I've I've certainly canceled more than one rehearsal not feeling well, but that's different. Um, I don't I don't feel quite the same responsibility those that I do for um, for gigs. Yeah, I, I can't I, I don't I can't think of a gig that I that would have been the one the night after I got Bell's palsy. If I if I was going to cancel anything, that would have been it. Heck yeah, yeah. But I decided, you know what? Whatever I've got going on with me, sweating it out is probably not going to hurt. So. That's true. Yeah. It was weird though, being in a bar and trying to interact with people on set set breaks were the worst part of that gig. Cause you know, I'd go up to try to get a drink and I hadn't learned how to talk with this thing yet. Uh, you know, it's like, ah, oh, it sucks being out in public dealing with people when I'm, you know, my face looks like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that, that part of it sucked, but, but otherwise sure. it was fine. I mean, you know, we, we move on. If that's the worst thing that's going to happen to me, I'm in great shape. So good outlook. Yeah. Did you play last weekend? No, I was in uh, I was in Breckenridge, Colorado, with the uh, the the staff, uh, our staff at the Mac Observer. We had a, a retreat kind of uh, getaway, and and had a couple of productive days and some actually fun nights and stuff. But no, I didn't play at all. So I was I was actually I actually sat and played my drums this afternoon, even though I really didn't have time in my work day to do that because I'd missed a bunch of stuff. It's like at one point I'm like I just got to go play. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel okay about it too. Sometimes that's what you got to do, you know. I, 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 you know, I have this home office, and I've got these guitars always within arm's reach. And you know, if I'm not focused on, I, that's just what you do. You just instinctively reach over, and just, you're all of a sudden an hour and a half later, you're you've been, you've been playing guitar for a while. Yeah, but it's it's I don't know. It's it's that mental. I knew it. You know, I had all this stuff to do, and I found myself. I, we had seen Rush last week, and uh, in Boston, and. And I don't know, I just found myself starting to look for videos of the show. And I'm like, wait, if I'm just going to screw around like this, I, I should go play. And so I did. I went and played. But how so, was Rush? Rush was really good. Um, they, uh, I mean, there was there was one tune. They played uh, the camera. I one of those tunes for moving pictures. And they oh, it was it was a it was a wobbly train from the moment it started. And then in the middle, the train fell off the tracks. You but, think it was a a, uh, a audible? Oh no, no, it was, it was, so they've got the way they organize their set list on this tour. They have probably, I don't know, let's say they're playing 22 tunes. I don't know how many it is. Right. But it's about that. 18 of them are the same every night. And then they've got, you know, three or four that they, they swap out, you know, they've got three different set lists that they use, but most of the tunes are the same and, and they rotate through them. They're quite predictable about all this stuff. It's how they work. And, mm-hmm. and so the camera eye is one of the tunes that they only play one out of three nights. But, right. um, I, I never thought it was a really well-written tune. It's got some good sections, but it doesn't ever feel cohesive. And I, and that's where it fell off the tracks. It, they switched from one section to the next and, and they didn't all decide to do that at the same time. And so now that we're talking about, you know, pro bands and, yeah. you know, I know you're a big rush fan. We, I, we would be remiss if we didn't say rest in peace to the fish. <sighs> yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a shame to have lost Chris Squire. Yeah. I mean, it happens, it, you know, this is how life works, but, uh, yeah, rest in peace. 
You, and was, you got to, we both, not together, but we've both seen him live at, at least once, right? Yeah, I saw him. It was the second concert I ever went to. So I, was, I think it was 15. Wow. And, uh, you know, it, Rush, uh, excuse me, Rush. Yes, back then. So when you're kind of a, a starting musician and you you hear about proficiency, you know, Yes was always the the band that was held up as, you know, incredibly complex. Therefore, it must be the most proficient thing that you can do. Sure. And so, you know, that was that was a way a lot of I think a lot of kids got into Yes is is complexity is is better. Totally. But, you know, the thing about Yes is, I mean, you know, their their musicianship and it wasn't just complexity. It was it was it was intricacy and how the how the parts fit together and what they all was especially back then, you know, it was Rick Wakeman and, and how, and, and, uh, that band was just freaking amazing. They, they were amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I always, how do you write songs? Like how do you write songs with the, those types of parts? You know, um, it, I saw an interview once where John Anderson came in and I think it was a long distance runaround. Right. And he said he brought, he, he talked about the Genesis of that tune and he said, you know, he brought this thing in, which was just him strumming some chords on a guitar, singing this melody. And and he said, and then suddenly these guys around me turned it into this whole, you know, <laughs> angular thing. And, and it was, but it was interesting to hear him. He didn't have a guitar with him, but you instant, just the way he con- conveyed it, you got the feel for what he presented to these guys. And it, it would have been something that was sort of at home in the corner of a coffee house as wallpaper, <laughs> you know, while you're, while you're doing whatever you're doing and reading the paper. And, and yet these guys took this, you know, this seed of a song and turned it into all this. And they they were virtuoso players, right? Yeah. You know, and very interested in making things as as uh, intricate as possible. And they like the idea of odd times and syncopated things. And so, I think you know, I think that's, I guess that's how that happens. I don't know. I can't tell you. I've never. I, that, I don't. That would I don't be have something, the talent right? to do that. Yeah. To, to be a fly on the wall, you know, if they wrote these things in the studio uh, to watch Siberian Katru come to life, or you know, Starship Trooper, or any any of these songs, right? You have to think that um, that they they start out that they start out as separate pieces that are not intended to be linked together. You, you would think like just germs of ideas like, oh, I, I had this little, you know, dun, 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 dun. Oh, OK, that's cool. And then this <laughs> other thing, you know, and like, wait a minute, we can we can piece these together. And I think that's where the genius comes in is recognizing that you've got these these separate things that can work together because most songs are not that right most songs are oh i came up with these chords and and then it's just basically the same thing that you did on the acoustic guitar or whatever and it's a little more rocking and and then you print it and you're you know you make a million dollars no i I liken this more like a david lynch film where it's like oh this is interesting but it needs something let's add a llama (laughs) you know like right right well that's it Yeah, it's totally the left field stuff like, oh, wait a minute. No, I have this cool idea that I've been messing around with. We can insert that here and it'll be awesome. And sometimes it is awesome. Right. And, you know, I mean, Rush is the same way. And like I said, with with a tune like Camera Eye, great sections. They didn't, in my opinion, they never linked them together well, you know, Um, but that's not true of all their tunes. I give them a pass. It's great. You know, (laughs) so, yeah, I would imagine that's how Yes's tunes came together because they all, you know, they all have... uh, a left turn. Yeah, they, they all have those left turns. Yeah, exactly. So it, it can't be the predictable thing that came together simultaneous with the, the germ of the song, right? It's gotta I got to imagine out there in, in podcast land, there's going to be someone who's a big yes head who has some insight, you know, knows a little bit more about it. That would be really cool to hear. We, need, we, we should really um, do some things where we encourage listeners to tell stories about their favorite bands and how, how it affects what they do in their cover projects. I'm into it. 
That's a great idea. Feedback at giggabpodcast.com. And then be cool. tell us about it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I got a good topic for today. All right. We have a little time left and I, we've, we've touched this gently in a few other ways. Uh, the concept of sit-ins. Yeah. Yeah, we have. We've talked about, I, I, I think we've talked about uh, us sitting in with other people. We, I don't think we've ever talked about other people sitting in with us, except for me sitting in with you. But that's a little different. Yeah, that, that doesn't count. Okay. This, is, this is the unknown person who uh, just walks up and says, like, like there's a guy in, in, around here who shows up at gigs with his assortment of harps and somehow or other gets to the side of stage and kind of gives you the look. And, you know, he's kind of like, you know, obviously, you know, wants in mid song for you to invite him on. And, uh, and to me, I would never, ever do that. So that, that to me is, I think that's poor form to be assumptive that you're entitled to come and sit in with someone. Yeah. Alcohol often has a lot to do with uh, the interpretation of that from the potential sit in person. Uh, the assumption, the pre- the presumption that it's okay to do this. That's right. Yeah. Now our acoustic group, um, we have hosted a lot of of sit-ins, and we're a little bit right on the edge now of where the word gets around that there's a lot of sit-ins, and we haven't tipped over the edge where there's people that we don't know coming. They're they're like friends of the band that we extend, you know, kind of quasi into. Like if you ever around, come sit in. Sure, but that's different. But, well, but you don't want to get the vibe, I don't think, of being jam night. I don't think you want to, like, just open. I don't know. I mean, I, I, you, we're still accountable to the place that hired us. They hired us is one thing. Well, that at least the way I think about it. No, that that's the that, I'm I am in any band that I'm in. I am the last guy that would ever say, yes, we should have someone sit in. But there's um, there's space between where the drums are at the back of the stage and where the interaction between the other band members and the crowd happens at the front of the stage. And oftentimes I find myself in a scenario where someone has been invited up without, um, without a band huddle first. And yeah, I don't, I I don't like it um, because I've, for many reasons, you know, a we've rehearsed together and you know, this is going to be less polished than it could be. Right because this person's never played with us and be like you said, you know, we're responsible for the entertainment for the night. And now we're bringing up something that's non, uh, you know, potentially a bad thing. Sometimes sit-ins work great. I mean, I've had some that, I, you know, we, you know, we end a tune with somebody and it's like, Oh, wow. I actually made it almost, that's almost the thing that made it worth coming. But, um, I would forego all of those, I think for, uh, for not having the, the sit in, just walk up on stage. I want to have a conversation with the person first. Yeah. So I don't really understand what the, what the thinking is of someone who's has taught himself that I'm just going to go ask some people who don't know me if they'll let me do it. I'll tell them I'm good, you know? And, and, and I guess the, you know, the audience, when it works out well, the spontaneity goes over pretty well and an audience gets a kick out of it. And when it doesn't work out well, the audience is kind of like, Oh, that's too bad. You know, nice, nice for him trying. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. I, I, I you work pretty hard to get the gig. I think I, I like having my friends sit in. I mean, I, I when sure. I know what's going to happen. Sure. I, but I, like, what do you think is going on when a guy literally, you know, goes to a gig and asks to sit in? 
I, I would never do that. I, well, that's that's I, I mean, when you ask that question, right, the, the thought process is, OK, well, wait, let me what was going through my head when I've done that? And the, the thing is, I've never done that. Um, I, and I never would. I can't I just can't imagine going up to a, a band and saying, hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty good drummer. I, I you, you know, maybe your guy would like to take a break and I'll, I'll play his kit for uh, for a tune or two. I, I just never would. I, I Even if it was a band that I knew, like even coming to see your band, I would never suggest that it would never be my idea that you should have me on stage with you. That's just coming from a weird place. It's a I mean, weird it, place. It's, yeah, it, it is. It's, on the other side of it, it is a joy when you are playing and a buddy of yours who you know is good and you say, hey, come sit in with someone with us. That's good. That That's that's fun for everyone involved. Sure. You know, you've taken the mystery out of it. You know, and it's friends getting to, who don't get to see each other getting to play and sure. or make some music. I think that there is you know fun and magic to be had there. Yeah, well, I mean it, that's like it, what would happen when I've sat in with you, and it's 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 spectacular. I love it. It is. It it's is great. It, that's good. But I just don't get the the guy who just finds his way up. So how do you and, how do you how do you respectfully say no? Right. 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 Because that's 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 always been the thing with the blues band I played in in Texas. Uh, we always had the people coming up to the stage saying, oh, you know, I've got my 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 harp with me. And uh, our guitar player was pretty good. He would always ask what uh, what key the guy had harps in first. And then he'd tell him, oh, you know, we're tuned down a half step, which we were <laughs> or, or or we're not tuned down a half step. Right. I mean, he would answer the question in such a way that whatever harp this guy happened to have with him was just not going to work. Y- you know, yeah, yeah. smart. Yeah, it, you know, and and there'd be, always be the guy that would say, "Oh, let me play guitar on a tune," and you know, Murray would say, "Well, this guitar means a lot to me, so I, you know, he had all the answers to respectfully let these people down." Um, and then if they came on stage anyway, well, then he, then the respect went out the window. Then then he got pretty mean with them, actually. Yeah, but I, I mean, I don't blame him for that. Um, but he he tried. He was really good at it. He was really good at kind of negotiating. He was good at negotiating people anyway. He was just, Short little guy and kind of had this grandmotherly. I mean, when on, on stage, he was a, a, you know, a total powerhouse. But yeah. when he was talking to you, you, it was like your grandmother talking to you. And he's like, oh, he'd get people to move tables. Like, you know, we'd want to go in and set up a gig early and uh, people be eating where we uh, where, we're, you know, the stage is supposed to be. And he'd just go over and say, hey, do you mind? And he like just picked up their plates and move them to another table. And do, you don't mind if we just put this stuff over here, be fine. He'd get away with it. So he had a way with people like that. Um, I, I'm less diplomatic. I, I'm yeah. much more. I, I am. I, I mean, a, uh, you know, my first concern is is the band, you know, w- doing what we want to do. So right. if the band hasn't kind of kicked in and isn't grooving yet. I'm definitely not going to take a left turn and let a guy come on stage and possibly derail the whole thing. So that would be one thing. <laughs> but you know, assuming all things being equal, I'm just I'm usually more like, nah. Unfortunately, we don't do sit-ins. Because I and I'm just blunt like that, and and yeah. you know I'm sure I've been called a few names in my time, but but uh, I just I don't get it. I I mean, who are you? You know why? That, now it's different. Like in one of the acoustic gigs, um, we had a good friend bring a you know a friend who was just looking to get started in the in the local scene, and um, he came up and his first and and he was a good friend and he he'd gotten me a couple of gigs in the past, and so I said of course absolutely, and the the guy came on. And the first song he sang was just okay. And then the second song he sang was absolutely wonderful. And it was so good that I asked him to come back the next week. 
uh, that we played next time that we played in, at this gig. And then the, the guy came up and played three songs and was fantastic. So, but again, you've got to be careful that you manage this thing because if you invite someone back, you know, some people will think it's now an open invitation to come right. back. So it's uh, you know, it's a delicate thing. I think blunt is fair. I don't know. I, yeah, I don't, if I, maybe, maybe somebody out there would say, no, it's part of the musician's brotherhood that if a musician would like to, you know, sit in, you give it all consideration. I've never heard that before. I, I disagree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I, I, but I also, I hate to sour the mood in a club, right? If everything's going well and everybody's happy, um, I, it, you know, that sometimes if somebody comes up and they're just in the moment of, Oh, wouldn't it be great? And you say, no, right. You know, you just blunt and let them down hard. Sometimes that can be the thing that pulls the wind out of all the sails. Right. You know, especially if that person is the person that's, you know, the, the cheerleader and all that. So I, I will, I will tiptoe around it and say, Oh, you know, I'd love to, man. It'd be great. But you know, our, our guitar player or this, I'll blame somebody else just to, just to keep the, you know, just to keep it smooth. Um, and to keep the, keep the, keep energy high in the room. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. It's, and, and I hate in the rest of my life, I just wouldn't do that. Right. I, I like you, I much prefer to be blunt about things and just matter of fact. And, and if I, if I feel like I can, that's what I'll do. But, but there are times when I will happily weasel out of it. Um, <laughs> I, you know, and it's, I mean, it's just in the interest of entertainment is, is really what, you know, that that's the first job and I've got to entertain this person that's asking for something that I cannot give them or I don't want to give them. And so, so that's, that's kind of the, that's the hard part. But, but like I said, I, it's often the decision is made before I'm even consulted. And then someone's on stage. It's like, Oh man. Okay. Yeah. You know, I know that. And I'm in fling. I'm the one who manages the sound usually at our gigs and everything. And it's like, guys, you know, don't do this to me. You know, I get that you want to say, yeah, I, you know, but you could just say, oh, look, you know, we do our own sound and it gets really weird when we have people on. So we can't. And that's it. That's all you got to say. You know, sorry. We'd love to, but it's just not going to Gave work. the courtesy of an answer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, then there's the other thing. Then there's the the odd person who decides they want to just walk on stage and dance, male or female. I've had this happen. We've we've experienced this together, my friend. That was that was a little dicey night that night. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So for those uh, listening out there, you know, if you're a musician, you know, you, it's not uncommon. It's not very hard if you want to get someone from the audience to come up and, and shout background vocals to something guy or a girl that, that doesn't seem to be too difficult to get people to do. But every once in a while, someone will just decide they want to dance on stage for whatever their alcoholically infused reason might be. And, uh, you know, I've, I had one, we had a you know, pretty big gig where this, this guy, must have been his twenties. All of a sudden he's just, he's on stage and he's right in front of me. And so I'm front and center and he's just kind of like dancing and he's trying to get the crowd to let him do a little dive in, into them. And, uh, <laughs> one thing I remember is all of a sudden I hear no bottom end on stage and my bass player, who is a big, strong guy, <laughs> put his bass down, grabs the guy in a, in a, there, there was no uh, uh, misinterpreting his intention. Grabs the guy by both shoulders and <laughs> walks him off the stage. Goes, picks up his bass, picks up where we are, and just kept on going. Wow, so, that's awesome. <laughs> so that's that sent a message that night that this wasn't going to happen. But, yeah, um, but yeah, that one night we had. So we had, we had, we had a girl get on stage. Yeah, that's right. It was the girl first, right? It was yeah. the girl first, and yeah. then the guy came up after right. that. After we after we had said no. 
Yeah. And then the guy goes back down and then the guy comes around and tries to come on the side of the same guy, come on the side of the stage. And, and, uh, you know, we had, we had a borderline incident that night. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you, you had some words with him and, and Brian Chaffin, uh, yeah. stood up to the guy. That was really something to see. Well, he was clearly, you know, trying to make it what he wanted it to be. And there was just no respect. I, you know, this all goes back to, uh, you know, this is our craft. You yeah. know, we take it. We, you know, even if we're having fun, yeah, we take it seriously. It's that's not right. something you can just drunkenly wander on because that's that's just disrespecting the craft, right? And so it is, uh, but, but I don't you know, feel I'm, bad. I'm sure that's not the intention, right? I mean, and and it's usually alcohol clouded um, when it happens, but I, I don't. It usually it's not someone that just wants to you know, be disrespectful. They just, they, they think that this will add to the fun and, and anyone who disagrees with them is just missing the point. Yeah. And that's too bad. Again, I just, you know, it's just thinking that's entirely foreign to me. I mean, there are lots of stories about guys, uh, you know, polishing the headstock of their guitar with the, with the heads of badly behaving patrons. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess there are. Have you ever thrown a drumstick at somebody? Not, uh, not, not someone in your band, by the way. <laughs> Um, no, not, not, not with the intent of, of using it as a weapon. No. I mean, I've like, if there's been like kids that gigs or whatever, I'll toss them a stick, but that's, I mean, not, that's a different thing. Totally have different you, thing. Have you ever stopped a song because you saw someone behaving badly and, and, uh, it, you know, it was time not to be playing. Um, no, I would, if I felt like it was time not to be playing, uh, usually in my experience that stopping the song is often the worst thing you could do. Um, I, you know, the, the, because at some, I mean, I guess if, if, if the, the, the invisible wall of the stage were simply totally breached, then yes, you, you stop. But, but I've seen, I've been in clubs where there's been massive fights break out and we've always kept playing. In fact, we will intentionally not stop a song even where we were supposed to until the fight, you know, stops because, because let the, the bouncers take care of it. Yeah. You just let the bouncer, you keep playing, do what you're doing. Don't stop and engage because then suddenly, you know, you're, it, it, everything changes at that point. So yeah, I've, in fact, I've, I, I remember one night in particular, we were playing of all things, sweet home Alabama. And uh, it was a biker bar we were playing and, and things got a little rowdy between two girls, actually bottles like on the heads uh, and it didn't take, you know, these two girls started at it and within 10 seconds, there were 15 other people fighting and it was right in front of us. And, uh, and our bass player, who's, who's pretty seasoned, um, he was the first one to make the decision and he turned around to, it was just a trio that we were playing rock and roll trio. And, uh, he turned to the, the other two of us and he's like, don't stop. I'm like, yep. Okay. No problem. And we kept going and the bouncers actually in the club were fantastic. They just, moved the mass to the door. And by the time they got to the door, the police were outside. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I haven't, I would, I mean, if it, you know, if, 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 it, if that's what's supposed to happen, then that's what needs to happen. But no, it, it's usually not a good idea. It, it seems like it might be like, there's a fight. All right, just stop. But you know, the reasoned approach is often just keep going. <laughs> yep. Cause there's this invisible wall between them and us right now that they see, and heaven forbid we do something to make it come down. Cause then, you know, <laughs> not good. All hell. Yeah. All hell can break loose. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Have you ever stopped a tune because of that? Well, I guess that one time we were together, I, I 
I don't even remember. You would remember better than me. I certainly took my guitar off and put it down on the floor and went over to address the guy. Did the band stop playing or did the band keep playing? You know, that, 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 I don't think there's video. I mean, it, it was, it was streamed to thousands of people. Um, I, I don't think we stopped the tune. I mean, Chafin put his guitar down too. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I, I don't remember stopping the tune, but I, we might've, it's possible. It's possible. Yeah, I don't know. Um, those gigs are always I, crazy. Yeah, I don't. I actually don't think. I don't think I've ever like. We won't play until you guys start behaving better. I don't. I don't. Or this guy stops behaving badly. Sure. I don't think I've ever done that. I heard, might be in. I heard might uh, be a musical fantasy. <laughs> Chris Chris Breen uh, tells stories uh, that he saw Frank Zappa, um, in in a place. I think it was like a high school gymnasium slash auditorium kind of thing. And he, the people were moving too much and the stage was kind of wobbly because of that. And Frank stopped the show and said, we will not play until you calm down. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. But that's Zappa. You know I mean? He was kind of, he, he knew how to draw a line. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Are we, have we, have we, uh, have we explored this theme enough? I have, I have vented my, my sit in problems. I, I feel, I think like, anybody like that, therapy. I was going to say anybody that listens to this show will no longer ask either one of us to sit in with our <laughs> bands. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, it certainly solves a problem for us. Right. right? Uh, Onward. Onward. Yeah. So we want to, uh, we've got some stuff building up in the mailbag. So hopefully the next show we will address everything in the mailbag, but there is still room for you folks. So uh, feedback at giggabpodcast.com or ask us questions on Twitter or Facebook. It's all giggab podcast. So, Come and uh, come and ask us questions. Share your thoughts. We want to share your stories here too, and we'll take it from there. Sounds good, Dave. All right, folks. We will see you next week. Next week. Bye bye. <laughs>